Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Inna alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil anbiya Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathiran kathira famma ba'du. First of all I would like to since the issue of men and women in the same workshop this is I've been told that you are doing this for the first time and the honor of that is being placed on my head which uh, I gladly accept, except that I want to correct any uh, understanding that needs to be corrected. Uh, this is not following my sunnah, this is not following my opinion. This is the actual following of the sunnah of Rasulullah There is absolutely no account of Rasulullah segregating men and women in his masjid by a physical barrier at any time. The process, the, the, the sunnah of Nabi Sallallahu was for the men, life was like this. The men to sit forward, the women to sit behind. Whether it was Salah, whether it was Juma, whether it was any other kind of gathering, this was the actual sunnah of Rasulullah Sallallahu which Alhamdulillah you are now following. Segregation, physical segregation of men and women in public places is not from Islam. Please understand this. Do you have a separate road for men and a separate road for women? Do you have a physical barrier in the road saying women will go on the left and men will go on the right? Uh, you are laughing because it sounds, it sounds funny, no? It's equally funny in a public place. This is not somebody's house. This is a public place for a purpose which is a public purpose. This, the segregation of the woman, the physical barrier of the woman is her hijab. If the woman is dressed Islamically, there is nowhere that she cannot go as long as that place is halal. And of course, I don't have to say that because if, it's, if it is haram, she, neither she nor you, nor nobody is supposed to go there. But all any other place, whether it's a hospital, do you have, a, do you have physical segregation for men and women in hospitals? Do you have physical segregation for men and women in hotels? Do you have physical segregation for men and women in airports? In railway stations, in bus stands, in malls. So why do you believe that it's necessary in, any, in some other public place? Physical segregation is the hijab. That is why the hijab is there. Because the hijab is the answer to the question. If the woman asks and says, I would like to go out of my house. I would like to go out into a public place. How must I go? You understand? You must go in hijab. If she was not supposed to go at all, then you would say there is no need to ask this question. You are not supposed to go. Stay here. So please understand this. There is no, you are not doing something which is uh, revolutionary or you are not changing the law of Islam or if somebody asks you, the reason I am giving you a dalil is if somebody asks you this question and says, how come you change the law of Islam? You say, no, no, we did not change the law of Islam. We are actually following the law of Islam as indicated by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because in anything which is beneficial, and I am asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this beneficial for all of us, in anything which is beneficial, it is a very sad thing if you exclude the women from that beneficial thing, or if you exclude the men from that beneficial thing. Yesterday I said the same thing to them as far as you guys are concerned. I said, how is it that many things I said yesterday were things which men should have heard, and those of you who uh, <coughs> will listen to the recording of the lecture, you will hear it. But obviously, men were not here. So I said, why are men not here? 
and then of course we had a long conversation alhamdulillah the good uh, thing which i uh, must uh, appreciate is the fact that immediately you brought about the change so alhamdulillah may allah subhanahu wa taala make us among those who uh, when they are presented with dalai with proof again i'm not saying I do it because i'm telling you no dali what is the proof of this and alhamdulillah if you are convinced that the proof is good then you follow it which is what you are doing may allah subhanahu wa taala bless you islam does not prevent women from doing anything islam does not prevent women from taking any action islam does not prevent women from taking any leadership positions the very biggest the biggest proof of that is islam places the greatest leadership responsibility of developing leaders of the next generation primary responsibility is on the woman is on the mother not on the father the father is a is a is a partner in that the father must take interest in that the father must make effort for that must help in that but the person who is actually accountable is the mother what what more proof do you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have done whatever he wanted he could have said the father is no he said the woman is the mother is responsible primary responsibility for the raising of children of course yesterday we had a detailed discussion on that so i'm not going to uh, repeat all of that uh, what we said yesterday but just to help you to understand if anyone argues with you or tries to tell you that no oh, women are being allowed here allowed there you tell them women are not being allowed here there women are allowed by islam islam permitted them the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam permitted them and all that we are doing is we are going to the sunnah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam which is what we are supposed to do inshallah right now <clears throat> if you see the title uh, the subtitle i've said living thoughtfully now this is something which is very important for us to think about which is the harmfulness of ghaflat the harmfulness of thoughtlessness of living like robots you know you get those toys which you wind up and you leave it and goes round and round and round and round and round our lives are like that unfortunately wound up and left and we got if somebody stops and say why are you doing that no idea what benefit did you get now this morning i was talking to uh, riski's son who is doing his o levels this year he's he's got his exams make dua may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him great success inshallah and to all those who are doing that i told him once your exam finishes i want to give you another exam and that's only one question that exam has only one question the question is what did i learn in my 10 years of schooling what did i learn and don't like don't write their uh, date of birth of this king or you know sri lanka got independence on such such day no what did you actually learn in terms of applicable learning from your 10 or 12 years of schooling i just sit down write that that is your exam actual exam after your o levels are over that is the meaning of thoughtfulness in 2002 or thereabouts i think uh, not to that about 2005 <clears throat> the uh, world stock markets were uh, very hot very overheated you know stocks were out through the roof and all kinds of uh, things were happening and uh, i thought to myself uh, that this looks very unreal and it looks like it is going we are headed for some big financial calamity now why did the why was i concerned i was concerned because my uh, primary business is in leadership development 
and I do a lot of uh, leadership training work for many uh, corporations, private and public uh, and so forth. And what happens in, the, in these uh, companies, uh, which is entirely logical, but it happens, which is that when the market goes down, if the companies are making losses, then the first thing they do is they cut the training budget. Now, they do that because they have uh, HR managers who have got, uh, you know, peanut brains. Uh, so, they want to show their bosses who have got uh, brains which are even smaller than peanuts, uh, that they have done something. So, they cut, the, they cut the training budget, which makes no difference to the bottom line, because the training budget is never big enough for that anyway. So, if you are going to cut a, a little bit of a piece somewhere, it really makes no difference. Except that it shows up there, oh, see, we made a cut. And what happens is that because now your business is down, you've got people with free time, you could have used that free time to train them, which normally when, when things are going hot, you need them out on the street. Now they are sitting at home, they are on the bench. So, use that time productively to do all the training that is uh, that you should have done. Instead of doing that, they cut the training budget. So now, if you are a trainer and if you are a, a training consultant or if you are a leadership development consultant, Cutting the budget actually puts a pressure on your own revenue. So, I thought to myself that this uh, going forward, it doesn't look good because if this thing crashes, then it means that my business will get affected. So, what to do? So, I thought to myself and I said, which is the group in any organization that will not get touched no matter what else happens? What's that group? The promoters the business owners, their children, right? Business owners will kick out uh, employees, but they won't kick out their own, their own uh, sons and daughters. They will cut, they will give pay cuts to people, but they won't give pay cuts to their own people. So I said, now this is a group which is protected. No matter what happens, this group will be there. So I said, therefore, I must target that group and see how I can show what, how I can benefit them. Now, on a side note, this is one of the things which uh, also for women especially. Uh, many women complain, they say, see, people don't involve us in decision making uh, in businesses. In, in many businesses, they have a policy that they will not allow the women into the business, which I am, of course, dead against, but uh, that policy is still there. Uh, there are policies in, uh, in, in other Islamic organizations also where women are not given a part. And many women quite justifiably complain. But my point is that Many times people don't give you a place because they don't know what you can do. So, give you a place as what? Give you a place because you are a woman. How does gender come into it? So, therefore, the point is that if you want somebody to take notice of you, you have to show them what you can do. So, what I, I did was, which I uh, said to Risky son, I did that exercise for myself. I said, what do I know about family businesses? I actually did that. I sat down, I wrote a headline, what do I know about family business? And then I started writing. <clears throat> it took me two years uh, of writing, of research uh, and so on and so forth uh, to produce my book, which is called The Business of Family Business. And that, got book, that book got published and the stock market crashed. I didn't crash because of the book. It was... <laughs> <laughs> but the benefit was that most trainers that I know 
they had financial problems because uh, training budgets got cut but didn't affect me because i am now targeting a completely different field altogether and especially when businesses are in trouble they say oh, please come and help us and what shall we do so we said okay now look at look at cleaning up your business look at an ipo look at this look at that all of this now point is how is it that why did they call me because of the book otherwise what do they know who is our big what do i care who is our big but when you read the book you say oh okay fine here is this guy who has written something seems to make sense let's at least call and talk to him something may happen may not happen doesn't matter but you know at least here is so that is how business started quite literally in in, in uh, sri lanka my first clients uh, and of course now very very dear friends of mine uh, the expolanka uh, rafik bhai and his family uh, that is how i met sheikh uh, osman khasim rafik khasim i get a phone call in the one morning he says i am so and so uh, by i just read your book i said how do you get my book faruk bhai bought it from uh, he went to south africa for uh, albarka bank or something you know the islamic bank thing and he bought the book there because it was published in south africa uh, he brought it here his brother read it and then rafiq khasim called me and then of course the rest of it uh, we that's how we built that relationship so i'm saying that write down what is it that you know and that is where i'm talking about living thoughtfully so many of us and this this is an exercise that i will ask you to do when you go back home today sit with a clean sheet of paper or open your computer and say what do i know and write down everything you know from making string hoppers to photographing wildlife in yala or whatever i mean everything what do i know right so you will have a whole bunch of random stuff and you will be surprised how much you actually know believe me i was astonished i mean I, I said, "Do I really know so much about family business?" Uh, Alhamdulillah. But I, I knew all of that, but it was there somewhere, amorphous mass in the head. Until you write it down, it is not in a usable form. So once you write all of that down, then it's in a usable form. Then you take from this and say, "Well, all of this uh, stuff I know. Now, what can I do with this?" how can i do this to help myself how can i do this to create a business how can i do this to help the community how can i do this to help the world and so on and so on and so on right so do that as an exercise living thoughtfully now living thoughtfully is also the essence of islam because in islam one of the uh, principal things that uh, we are warned against over and over is the issue of ghaflat ghaflat means thoughtlessness random living living like a robot no thought in life you wake up in the morning and if somebody says what's your plan for today you have no plan what's the plan what is the meaning of plan you go to bed just before you sleep somebody says what did you learn today how how did the day go no idea how did the day go it went well what do you mean well why do you say the day went well oh because i didn't meet a bus okay so that's one criteria if you had met a bus and you had become part of the front grill of the bus that would not have been a nice thing for the bus huh but other than that what if you say my day went well today what is the what is the data seriously i mean this is a, these are questions which we need to ask rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said in the hadith famous hadith which all of us know where nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said if one day is equal to the other day something is wrong he said today must not be like yesterday 
Can you believe this? I mean, imagine the, the focus of the Prophet ﷺ on learning, on personal development. This one hadith is sufficient. He said, no two days of a Muslim should be alike. Today must be better than yesterday. How, how can you say that? How can I say that? Unless we know what happened yesterday and unless we have a plan for today. Tell me, is it possible? But this has become our standard in life. If I ask you to sit down and do, and I do this when we do our uh, uh, leadership excellence uh, course, the LEC, we actually make you sit down and write down what happens in your day. We, we log your day every half hour. So he said, log it every half an hour. What were you doing? What were you doing? What were you doing? Because remember, that day is 24 hours of your life. And if you are logging it, it means that this is the past 24 hours. So it's gone already. Never going to come back. It's one day less from your life. What is the value of that? If Malakul Mouth came to you, if the angel of death came to you, on your deathbed or whatever state that you are dying in it's not going to happen i'm saying imagine it if it happened if he came to you and said i will give you 24 hours hmm? you are supposed to die now but i will give you 24 hours what will you pay me for that you got to pay me a fish right so 24 hours i'll give you what will you pay me for that tell me what will you pay Will you pay anything? Or will you say, no problem, I don't want it. Anybody? Stand looking at me, that's not going to help. You've got to talk. Mind reading is not my strength. What will you pay? If Malakul mouth comes to you at the moment you are dying and says, you got 24 hours more, what will you pay him? Is it useful to get that time at that time? Why? Why is it useful? Tell me. Tauba. Then what else? Charity. Charity. Wasiat to your children. Wife, parents, whoever is there. Right? Do this, don't do that. So on, so on, so on. You prepare yourself. You make, continuously make zikr and so on. You know, 24 hours exactly at this time, I am going to die. You absolutely ensure that that particular time, you are going to be in sujood, in sajda, saying, Subhan Rabbi al La ilaha illallah and you go, right? All of this can be planned because you know 24 hours. None of that is going to happen. Not to you, not to me. But that same 24 hours for which you are willing to pay anything that you have at that point in time just went by yesterday. We'll go by again today. And we'll go again and again and again until the last minute comes. And what are we doing in that 24 hours? Facebook, Pinterest, Snapchat, WhatsApp, What's Not App. <laughs> Seriously, ask yourself this question. I'm not on any social media. Social media is a complete and total waste of time. I'm not on any social media. The only reason I'm on WhatsApp is because the phone calls are free. Seriously, no other reason. I get to do international calling for free. So I am on WhatsApp. Otherwise, no social media. 
make does not make any difference to me either in terms of my business or in terms of whatever my friends know how to how to uh, get to me i know how to get to my friends imagine the amount of time one hour on facebook or any social media for that matter is 365 waking hours <clears throat> don't count 24 don't do it by 24 waking hours productive work time in one year do the sums if you say 8 hours of sleep i'm just for the sake of you know quick calculation i'm saying if you say 8 hours of sleep how many hours have you got left 16 hours 365 divided by 16 is how much do the do the wait do the do the calculation 365 divided by 16 is how much 200 220 no how much are you are all sitting here with uh, computers and phones and what not do it yeah 22 22 plus 22 plus 22 days that's practically one month huh? 22 days if you were a chicken sitting on eggs you would have hatched it takes 21 days even if you were a lazy chicken you would still hatch you get the point i'm saying it's a colossal expenditure of time all i'm saying is i'm not saying do it don't do it i'm saying make it worthwhile don't kiss your life goodbye like this makes no sense 22 days you just one hour on facebook and or whichever media and then one hour goes like that you know you know how fast it goes right so living thoughtfully and that's what we're going to talk about today <clears throat> there are six key elements to living thoughtfully and they are six elements that are <clears throat> based on two fundamental platforms which is taluq ma allah connection to allah subhanahu wa taala and gratitude shukr thankfulness and gratitude for everyone which is to allah subhanahu wa taala as well as for uh, whoever contributed to you in your life these are the two platforms or the or two elements of the platform on which the rest of this uh, the app of your life runs so taluq with allah to ask yourself and say what is my connection with allah subhanahu wa taala if you take the revelation of the quran allah subhanahu wa taala revealed the five ayat of uh, of surah al alaq and after that allah subhanahu wa taala revealed surah al muzammil now there is a difference of opinion whether it was al muzammil or al mudaththir uh, which came first but Uh, one of the strong opinions is that it was suratul muzammil even if it was suratul mudaththir first it doesn't matter because the point that i want to make is very simple allah subhanahu wa taala revealed suratul muzammil now in this surah very interestingly allah subhanahu wa taala revealed it has 20 ayats allah subhanahu wa taala revealed the first 19 ayats 
and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the 20th ayah after 12 months. Now what are the first, I won't recite the whole 19 ayat, uh, but the, uh, the point that I want to make are the first five ayat of Surah Al-Muzzamil. What are those ayat? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim. Ya ayyuhal muzzammil qumi layla illa qalila nisfahu abin qusminhu qalila awzid alayhi wa rattilil qur'ana tartila. Inna sanulqi alayka qawlan thakila. Inna nashiyata al-layli hiya ashad wat'an wa aqwa muqila. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed Rasulullah in a very beautiful and soft and gracious manner and he said, Oh, you covered in garments, stand up, stand up for the whole night. Stand up means to stand up in salah, in worship for the whole night. Illa khalil, except for a small part of the night. So stand up for the whole night, except for a small part, meaning most of the night you are standing in salah. Nisfahu awin kusmin ukhalila auzid alayhi, maybe half the night, maybe more, and so on. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows how much you stand. And then what did Allah say? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Inna sanulqi alayka qawlan thakila. Because a big responsibility is going to be given to you, a very heavy word will be sent on you. Inna nashiyata layhiya ashad wat'awwa aqwa muqila. Allah said, Verily, the standing in the night is very hard. It is very difficult. It's not easy. It's very difficult. Ashad is the superlative form of shadid, which means hard. So Allah said, standing in the night is not easy. It's very difficult. But it is the best thing for discipline and it is the best thing to understand the Quran, to understand the Kalam of Allah. Now this, uh, these ayats were revealed and then the later on the, uh, the other ayat until ayah number 90 <coughs> were revealed. And the Sahaba started praying Tahajjud. They used to pray Tahajjud in Jama'ah because that's how Rasulullah taught them. And then later on they used to pray the pray Tahajjud by itself. This is long before the five Salahs came. Five Salahs came in the in year 13, 12 or 13. There's a different opinion exactly when that revelation came. But the five Salahs made for was in Year 12 or 13, but the but Tahajjud itself was prayed from day one. So they used to pray only after one year. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed the last ayat of Surah Al-Muzamil, which we consider to be the ayat of Ruksa, which is it makes Tahajjud not fard but voluntary. And that ayat was a very beautiful ayat which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, actually bears witness to the worship and to the salah of Rasulullah and the Sahaba. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Inna rabbaka ya'lamu annaka taqumu adna min thulusai layli wa nisfahu wa thulusah wa nisfahu wa thulusah wa ta'ifatum min alladhina ma'ak wallahu yuqaddiru layla wa nahar Allah 
وأقيموا الصلاة وآتوا الزكاة وأقرضوا الله قرضا حسنا وما تقدموا لأنفسكم من خير تجدوه عند الله تجدوه عند الله هو خير وعظم أجرا واستغفر الله إن الله غفور رحيم <coughs> Many points of reflection in this ayah which I am not going to go into now because that's not part of uh, this lecture but do read that and think about it only one point i want to make here is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say inna rabbaka ya'lamu annaka taqum verily your rab knows that you stand and knows that the people stand with you right so this is a great honor for Rasulullah and the Sahaba, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bore witness that yes, you worship me and I am witness to the fact that you worship me. Now, the reason I'm saying this is talking about ta'aluk with Allah. We have here a situation where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them stand in the night. And only 12 months later, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said this last ayah, which is ayah of Ruksa. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah knows that some of you are not well, some of you are traveling for business, some of you are fighting in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even then, pray and recite as much of the Quran as you can, meaning that you may not be able to stand for the whole night, you may not be able to pray a long salah, pray small, but don't leave it. Even there you pray, so there is some level of freedom in praying tahajjud. But ask yourself, why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this, these ayat among the first of his revelation and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not send the ayat of ruksa, the ayat of making it voluntary for 12 months. So for 12 months, Sahaba prayed tahajjud like fard. <coughs> Every single day because that's what it was. Because Allah said, stand up in the night. Allah Rasulullah for him, tahajjud was for all his life. And I can tell you, my assessment of this is that whoever prayed tahajjud with Nabi Wasallam never left it for the whole of their lives. Even though Allah gave ruksa, it is not something that they actually did. They continued to pray because by then they had tasted the sweetness of connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why I call connection with Allah the platform on which everything runs because this is the whole essence of Islam. What is Islam? Islam is not a bunch of rituals to go and stand and sit and get up and whatnot and you say this is my... No. Islam is to connect with God. Islam is to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah is real. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists. I was speaking at the University of Massachusetts <coughs> in Amherst uh, in the US and uh, somebody asked me what is the concept of God in Islam? So I said, there's no concept of God in Islam. They were very shocked. They said, what kind of an answer is that? I mean, there's no concept of God in Islam. I said, no, there's no concept of God in Islam. Who told you there's a concept of God in Islam? They said, what do you mean? I said, in Islam, God is not a concept. God is real. What do you mean concept? Allah is real. Allah exists. It's not, it's not a concept. It's not something I thought of in my mind and some philosophy, you know. <clears throat> so if he's real and he is Samuel Basir, he hears and he sees in a way that suits his majesty and grace. He is the creator of all languages, not only Arabic. 
he understands all languages so what is the what is the logical progression of this therefore i should talk to allah yes or no <coughs> so my question to you is when when was the last time you spoke to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i'm not asking you when was the last time you prayed hopefully it was this today fajr huh eh? when was the last time you talked to allah please understand i'm not saying recite quran i'm not saying when was the last time you recited quran no when did you last talk to allah <coughs> i'm driving my car i come to a place i need to park i say oh my god ya allah there is no parking place ya allah please help me then somebody backs out his car that's talking to allah if nobody backs out his car you say alhamdulillah ya allah yeah, i know i should have told you this before i know you can do it even now but you want to give me a lesson no problem i go around the block i come back somebody backs out his car Huh? <laughs> Have fun, man. Why do you make religion into a musibat on your head? Seriously, I'm telling you, I mean, this is crazy. Muslims make religion into a problem for themselves and for others. Aji, <laughs> why do you do that? Did does Islam tell you this? Islam is a major problem, nuisance, carried big problem. In, uh, one day you will go to Jannah. Allah, Allah, what the hell? Have fun. Allah is. You love Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. What do you do with with the one you love? What do you do? You go hug them, you kiss them, you speak to them, and in like little children speak to them. नहीं हमारे उर्दू में बोलते हैं लाड करते हैं, जिद करते हैं. नहीं होना I want this. No, I na I want this. You can give me, so give me. हाँ do don't the children do this? Now you can't hug and kiss Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. I'm not saying that in a literal sense, but I'm saying that this is the meaning of relation with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Obviously, somebody like that will never miss salah. How will you miss salah? This is the meaning. Somebody asked the servant of India Bus, Radhiyallahu. The cousin of Rasulullah Sallallahu. Somebody asked him, "Tell me about the life of your master. Tell me about the life of Ibn Abbas." The man said, "The life of my master is very simple. From one salah, he waits for the next salah. He waits for the next salah, and in between, he recites Quran." He said, "This is the life of my of my master." Now, Ibn Abbas was a businessman. He was a big-time businessman. He used to, you know, he dealt internationally and so on. That's another area of research. If you if you go into that and say the businesses of the Sahaba, they had letters of credit. They had what today we uh, look at international business transactions. They had they did business literally in billions of dollars in in today's in today's money. You know, we are not talking about little shopkeepers. We are talking about big-time business people. They traded internationally. and a lot of that trade was just on word of mouth give me a billion dollars worth of stock because you know me that's it and he gave a billion dollars of stock can you imagine what kind of credibility a personal credibility you're talking about so we talk about big time people now here was this businessman there some someone asks the servant what tell me about the life of your of your master he says from one sala he waited for the other salah he waits for he doesn't say oh my god another time to pray no 
waits for it and in between research Quran. This is the meaning of connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when was the last time you talked to Allah? And if you did not talk to Allah and you can't remember the last time you talked to Allah, why not? I ask this question of parents also when I am doing parenting workshops, I ask them this question and say, when was the last time you talked to your child? When was the last time you had a conversation with your child? Go get this, go get that is not conversation. Asking questions, did you study, did you not study, how was the exam, all conversation. Relating to them, talking to them. When was the last time? This is the tragedy of our lives today. Parents don't talk to children. Children do not talk to parents. Ask these kids, when was the last time you had actually a conversation with your father? Conversation with your mother? I want money is not conversation. <coughs> Can you imagine? I mean, what we have done to our lives? This is the result of living thoughtlessly. Your life has become a musibat for you, not because of Allah made it like that. You made it like that to yourself. No conversation between parents no, and children. No conversation between husband and wife. When was the last time you talked to your wife? Conversation with your wife. This is, the, I'm not saying it's your reality. I'm saying this is the general reality. Muslim or non-Muslim. People don't see in, the, in, 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 in America. I know people who, husband and wife, they don't even see each other for days. Because he is traveling, she is traveling, it's the, the house is like a hotel. You come in, you take something from the fridge, you eat your food, you go to sleep, you're traveling again, you've gone off somewhere, you're going to work. I mean, this is called life. Inna lillahi wa inna But this is what we have done to ourselves today in the name of our modern living. And you have friends on Facebook. <coughs> Somebody sent me a joke. Uh, there's this janaza going and uh, there are three people behind it. And there's this lady standing there and she's saying, but my, my, but my son had 2,000 friends on Facebook. <laughs> three on a janaza. Friend is somebody real. You, you know them, you talk to them, you, <laughs> you relate to them. You go somewhere, you say, can I, can I come to your home or you know, can, please come and have dinner with me. Friend is not somebody on Facebook. But this is this is why I say sometimes in the Quran, Ajib in this world today, the Quran is becoming more and more real for us. I mean, it's a, it is real. It's not that there was a doubt in that. Allah said, But it is actually becoming real because Allah said, Verily, the life of this world is nothing but deception, it's nothing but a figment of the imagination. Think about that ayah. How real is that ayah today? We are living in a world which is more and more and more illusory. So we need to get real. We need to get real. And that is the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's the platform on which everything else runs. That connection and gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to whoever helps us. On this platform for success there are Five critical factors. Number one is a clear definition of what is success. What does success mean to you? <coughs> Number two is courageous determination. Not just determination. We have determination. You hit, you hit the first roadblock and you're gone. The courage to carry on. Number three, 
is a workable strategy, not just a strategy which is in the air and you say, how do I apply this and it can't be implemented? No, an actual workable strategy. Number four, significant investment. This is a big problem as far as we are concerned in our lives as well as in our community work. If you have to jump a 10 foot ditch, if you jump nine and a half feet, you are still in the ditch. Right? Significant investment. And number six is boundaryless relationships. Friendships across boundaries. Not only with Muslims. Not only with Sufis. Not only with Salafis. Not only with this fees and that fees and no fees. Huh? No. Across boundaries. So we look at each of these very quickly, one by one. I asked this question yesterday also to the sisters, so they are not allowed to answer this question. We'll ask the brothers. If I told you that I, when I go back to India tomorrow, on Monday, I'm going to buy a car, what will you ask me? What car? Right? So I tell you, man, what do you mean, what car? I told you a car. Is there something called a car? Which car? You understand the point I am making? There is no such thing as a car. There are different brands of cars. Each one comes with a different price tag. If you go to the market and say, I want a car, try it for yourself. Nobody will say, here is a car. <laughs> Which car? <clears throat> and that is the reality also of success. Ask anybody in the world, do you want to be successful? They will say yes. But is the world filled with successful people? No. Why not? Not because they don't want to be successful. Everyone wants, everyone wants success. The world is not filled with successful people for the same reason that the issue of the, the example of the car. People want success. They don't say what car. They don't say which car. They want success, but they have not defined success. So we need to define success. Clear definition of success. So that is what I would like to do, like you to do as whoever wants to do it. Today, when you go back home, sit down and write your definition of success in one sentence. And one sentence is not like this, 15 lines, no. One sentence, one line. What is your definition of success? And make that a definition of success for this world. Don't write that I want to go to Jannah. That's very simple. Die. <laughs> right? Say la ilaha illallah and drop dead and you are in Jannah, inshallah. <clears throat> That's why they say everyone wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die. So, we, that, that's, that's no good. Huh? We, inshallah, we ask Allah for Jannah. We are not laughing about that. We ask Allah for Jannah. But to get to Jannah, we need something. Allah said, for insan, for a human being, there is nothing except that which he works for or she works for. So, write down your definition of success. How do you define success? One line only. And then what you do with that definition is, you break down that definition into the actions that you will need to take. 
So supposing you say, I want to be the best father in the world for my children. Alright, so nice definition. How do you define best father? Who is the best father? What is the best father? What must the best father be able to do? So you might say, well, you know, best father, my definition of best father, yesterday we had a conversation on this issue of uh, having a, uh, a maulvi from the masjid, say the, the imam or somebody come to teach my children, uh, call them to teach my children how to read Quran. And somebody asked me, they said, is it okay, can we do that? So my question was, why do you want to do that? I'm not saying it's okay or not okay, I'm saying, why do you want to do that? Because the primary job of teaching Quran to the children belongs to the parents. So why do you want to call, even if it is Sheikh Sudesh, why do you want him to, want to call him to teach your children how to read Quran? I can understand my children already know how to read Quran. To read Quran. I want them to go to this Sheikh so that they can get Ijazah for Tajweed or Khirat of Quran or they know to recite and I want them to learn to recite in the other nine ways or ten ways of different uh, of, 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 of uh, recitation. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying just reading Quran. So now I say I want to buy, I want to be the best father to my children. Then what is the number one thing I need to do? What? Teach Quran. What, I, what do I need to do before that? You need to learn. How will you learn? It's a, it's a matter of shame that in many Muslim homes, far too many Muslim homes, children know to recite Quran better than their own parents. Because the children are sent to the maktab, they are sent to the madrasa or some maulvi comes and teaches them so they know but the parents don't bother to learn. So the children can recite Quran better than their own parents. It's a very shameful thing. Imagine one of the biggest, one of the biggest wealth that you can give to your children is memories. Is memories. How do they remember you? And I can tell you there are literally millions of Muslim children who do not have a memory of hearing their father recite Quran. Because their father never recited Quran. They never heard their father or mother <coughs> recite Quran. And now the child tries to think, what did my father sound like? I don't know because my father never recited. He may have read Quran, but there is no sound of his voice in the memory of that child because he never heard it. How sad is that? Tell me. How terribly sad is that? And how easy it is to correct that? Alhamdulillah, all of you are here and you are alive. So do it. Make this your number one priority. I must learn how to read Quran correctly. Make this your number one priority because it is your number one priority. Go find someone to teach you Tajweed properly. Read Quran. And then make it a practice every single day in your house to sit and recite Quran loudly. Both you and your wife make it a practice to sit in your house every day and recite some part of the Quran and do it loudly so that the children can hear your voice reading Quran. That's a memory that will be with them all their lives long after you are dead and gone. They, when they hear anyone reciting Quran, they will remember you and they will make dua for you and your forgiveness. 
do it this is what i mean now you made you wrote, you wrote this definition to say i want to be the best father i want to be the best mother what makes me a best father and best mother this teaching my children how to read quran which begins with me learning how to read quran and this is what i will do is it clear the issue of strategy same thing applies to whatever definition that you write write the definition and then break it down and say what do you need to do in order to fulfill that definition <coughs> so the first rule of success is to have a clear concept a clear definition of success number 2 is as i mentioned earlier courageous determination it's not magic it won't happen by itself we have to make effort now determination means to bring discipline into our lives how many people here have a specific time at which they wake up every single day specific time all right some hands are now coming up many hands have not come up which means some of some people here they wake up at one time one day another time another day doesn't work please understand this does not work make it fard on yourself to pray tahajjud every single day of your life starting from tomorrow morning are you ready to do that inshallah then ask allah subhanahu wa taala to decree that he takes your life in sujood in tahajjud inshallah but stick to that never miss no matter where you are you might be traveling you might be no matter where you are no matter what you are doing you make sure that you wake up for tahajjud and you pray at least two rakat of tahajjud every single day of your life then sit and read some quran try to read at least one juz per day get up to that point if you are not able to do that continue it's not difficult it is easy try to read at least one juz per day and then go and pray salatul masjid uh, salatul fajr in the masjid by jamaah make this into your absolutely non changeable routine every single day of your life till your last day and after salatul fajr sit down make some zikr pray <coughs> when the sun comes up pray the salah uh, ishraq or salatul duha and you are your day has begun now imagine starting from tahajjud till salatul duha you are talking about roughly 2 and 1/2 to 3 hours imagine what kind of a beautiful life is that where 3 hours or 2 hours or 2 and 1/2 hours of your morning begins with the worship of allah subhanahu wa taala connecting to allah subhanahu wa taala reading his kalam making dua asking allah subhanahu wa taala for his help for the whole day rabbi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the one who prays two rakat of salatul duha allah gives him the reward of hajj and umrah and he prays another two rakat and allah subhanahu wa taala becomes his kafil Allah becomes the caretaker of this person for the whole day. <coughs> And then start your day. Yeah this may look like too much. But imagine this on the day of judgment on your scales. And then tell me does it look like too much or too little? Eminently doable there's nothing I'm telling you which is not doable. Eminently doable very easily doable. but we have to get discipline into our life that's the meaning of courageous determination 
Then you start off with your, whether it's business, whether it is education, whatever it is that you're going to do, make the plan and work on the plan. Determination. Moment you hear, you hit some roadblock, you hit a difficulty, you break down, you say, oh, too difficult, can't do it. Gone. There's no question of any success. You have to go through that difficulty. Rasulullah went to his job, his, 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 what was his mission? <coughs> to take Islam to the whole world. So what does he do? He starts in <coughs> Makkah. Difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. Was he successful in Makkah in his, in his vision? No. Huge difficulties. Then what does he do? Goes to Taif. Now we know the whole incident of Taif and so on, so I'm not going to take your time to narrate what you already know. But the incident of Taif, the whole journey to Taif and what happened to him in Taif, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was that a, was that a barrier, was that uh, something which was uh, uh, adverse uh, to him or not? Yeah. Physically he got assaulted, he got, physically he got injured, he was, he, he bled and emotionally he got injured, uh, people, uh, you know, insulted him and did all that. What did he do? Did he say, Ya Allah, enough. Khalas, I did my best. Find somebody else. Is that what he did? What did he do? What is his dua? He said, Oh Allah, if you are pleased with what I am doing, then I don't care if the whole world is not pleased. And if you are not pleased with what I am doing, then I will continue to work hatta tarda until you are pleased. No question of stopping. I will do it until you are pleased. Hatta tarda. So what did his Rabb Jalla Jalaluhu, what, how did he reply? What did he say? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Wala sawfa yutika rabbuka fatarda. Allah said on that day, tomorrow, in the future, meaning the Akhirah, Surah Al-Duha, Allah will give you Rabbuka Fatarba. Your Rabb will give you until you are pleased. Eh? We please Allah and Allah says to his Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu I will make you happy. I will give you until you are happy. Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib used to say, you know in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said the ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us never to have Number two, despair of his mercy. La taqnatu min rahmatillah. Ya ibadi alladhina asrafu ala anfusihim. La taqnatu min rahmatillah. Inna allaha yaqfiru dhunuba jamia innahu huwa al-ghafuru rahim. This ayat is considered to be the ayat of greatest hope in the Quran. Allah said never lose hope in the mercy of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very merciful. Allah will forgive all sins. But Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib used to say that for us, meaning the family of Musa he said the ayat of greatest hope 
is not this one. This is the ayat of great hope. But the ayat of greatest hope is the ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa Then on that day your Rabb will give you until you are pleased. They asked him why do you say that? He said because he will never be pleased until every single one of those who believe in him is in Jannah. This ayat is proof that inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give Jannah to everyone who believes in Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to include us among them. So here is a person who has this goal. His definition of success is very clear. He's working on it. He hits a roadblock. What does he do? He continues. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to continue despite the fear. A person who is not afraid in a situation where he should be afraid is a person who is a fool. Because you should be afraid. It is a dangerous situation. So why are you not afraid? Because you don't understand the danger there. Most likely you will, you will you know, destroy yourself because you don't understand what the problem is. So being afraid in a situation where there is reason to be afraid is a sign of intelligence. What is courage? Courage is to still continue despite that. Yes, I see the danger, but I will still go ahead because this goal is worth achieving. So I will work intelligently. I will come. I will protect myself. I will do what it takes to mitigate my risks. But I will continue because this is worth doing. If you're starting a business, is there is there no danger in the environment? I'm not, I'm not about physical danger. I'm saying you're starting a you're starting a business. There is a danger of failure in the business. There is a danger of of investment not working out. Of uh, you know you're not finding a market and so on and so forth. So what do you do? Give up. Courageous determination. You're talking about the work of Dawah, you're taking Islam to the world. The world does not want to listen to people about Islam. Yesterday somebody asked me this question. Uh, Brother Firman, he said, how do you present Islam uh, to people we don't... Uh, I said, the best way of presenting Islam to people is to live Islam. Is to live Islam. Be a good Muslim, people will be affected by that itself. So, courageous determination. Third one, out of the five... Is a workable strategy. Whatever strategy we create for ourselves <coughs> must be tested on the uh, basis of how feasible is it, how workable is it. Now, having said that, there are two dangers of this, two extremes. One extreme is to be is to is to aim so low in the name of practicality that you actually achieve nothing very much, not, nothing very significant. Right? So, you, are, you just bog yourself down with this might go wrong, that might go wrong, that might go wrong. So, then there is no risk. If there is no risk, there is no development. So, you are aiming so low that yes, it is workable. Supposing I tell you walk from here to there. If I tell you go from here to there and do it in a way where there is no danger of falling. How will you do that? Crawl. No, you can't, you can't fall if you are crawling. If you are lying flat on your, on your belly and Dragging yourself. But is that a is that a good way to walk? To go from point point to point? At the same time, you if you stand up on this on this table and leap, 
that also is stupid because you you leave you might fall down break your leg or something there's no need for that you can get up and walk right so this is a either we aim so low that is it's worthless or you go up in the sky so high that yeah it sound nice but how do you implement this so it is very important to base your strategy uh, to to create a strategy and then to anchor that strategy to actual data to measurements to metrics and so on to make sure that the strategy is is workable so by all means be ambitious and the point i'm making to you is don't this does not mean workable strategy it does not mean that you should not be ambitious be ambitious create a goal which scares you because that's what will inspire you but at the same time be clear in your mind don't create a goal which is which is you know impossible to achieve because then you will fail and then you will feel discouraged and so on about it so don't go into one extreme or the other extreme point number 4 is significant investment what is the key word here significant as i told you if you have to jump a 10 foot ditch and you jump 9.5 feet you are still in the ditch you will still fall into the ditch because well, you know, i did i did so much yeah so much but not enough significant investment if you are talking about a life goal what is the first requirement for a life goal that you must spend most of your time the vast majority of your time must be spent in pursuit of that life goal what is the difference between a hobby and a life goal take my brother here is risky and uh, kader is somewhere else uh, they are fishermen they know they love fishing but are they fishermen by profession or is it a hobby why was well, you know, after all i'm still going in the boat i'm still catching fish but that's not your profession because when do you do that you know, once in a month maybe once in two months so how long do you do that one trip but if you are a fisherman well, how many times do you do fishing every single day every single day of your life what does the fisherman do he gets up he gets into the boat he goes to the sea he catches fish if he doesn't get anything he comes back but he goes every single day that is the meaning of significant investment in terms of time if you are looking at a life goal then you are also you must be able to compare it and say am i spending the vast majority of my time in pursuit of that life goal am i putting in enough money enough mental power whatever it takes to make sure that that life goal is achieved it's not a hobby it's not something oh yeah i would like to do sometime no sometime in this lifetime is not a life goal life goal is something that you do every single day putting in your maximum energy and time into that right and of course as they say the rest the rest is history because anything you put that much of energy and time into believe me you will succeed it's not a matter of doubt inshallah you will definitely succeed because that's how allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the world and the last and quite possibly the most important is relationships which are boundless many times in our uh, it's a, it's amazing because practically all our technology that we have on a daily basis which we use is technology which is supposed to connect us to people yes 
whether it's social media, whether it is telephones, whether it is whatever, right? Emails and so on. It's supposed to connect us to people. But it's amazing, such a paradox, that we today are in a highly disconnected situation. We have all the technology which is supposed to connect us to people, but we are actually very disconnected with people. We don't know how to talk to people, we don't know how to negotiate, we do not know how to communicate, we don't know how to resolve conflicts, we know how to get into conflict, we don't know how to get out. What's the meaning of what's the meaning of relationships? So this, it means this, right? So these things have to be learned. And they're not difficult, they're easy. But for that, you have to get rid of all this rubbish and talk to people. Go talk to somebody face to face. He won't bite you. If he bites you, go put a band-aid and go talk to him again. <laughs> so seriously, boundaryless relationships. People sometimes come and ask me, can I go to the house of a Hindu? <laughs> of course, why can't you do that? No, he's a non-Muslim. Most of the family of Rasulullah was non-Muslim. Most of the family of most of the Sahaba were non-Muslim. People's parents were non-Muslim. People's brothers and sisters were non-Muslim. What did they do? Kill them? Ajeeb, <laughs> we have created, I told you, no, we have made Islam into one musibat, one, one problem for ourselves and everybody else. Of course, if you don't even talk to somebody, how on earth are you going to present Islam to them? Tell me. You won't go to their house, you won't talk to them, you won't invite them. Then what, what do you do? Boundaryless relationships. Talk to people, invite them to your homes, let them see how a Muslim home looks like. You know, this is very good for you. For example, I tell when I advise businesses, one of the things that I <coughs> advise a lot of family businesses is to become public, right? Do an IPO. Now, of course, obviously one reason is you get access to capital and that capital is free. You also get to capitalize your effort of so many years. But to me, the biggest benefit of an IPO, of going public, is that it makes you clean up your business. You can't have 10 different books of accounts. You can't be putting money into your pocket somewhere and you say, oh, after all, it's my money, it's my business. No, 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 no. You have to get your accounting processes correctly. You've got to get your process, all the administrative processes correct. Everything has to be transparent and clean and neat and so on and so forth. So, end of the day, apart from the capitalization aspect of it, become going public is a brilliant thing for your business itself because it makes your business highly efficient. And why? Because it becomes open to everybody. Now, this is the benefit of opening ourselves and our homes and our masajids and our organizations to people who are not Muslim because it helps you to straighten out your life. Right? This thing went off for some reason. Why? It helps us to straighten out our lives. Because if I am going to be inviting other people into my home and people come in and they find my home is, you know, dirty and not neat and it's got stuff lying around here and there and so on. You say, my God, you know, this is not good. I mean, if somebody else will come and they see all this, well, this is how Muslims live. Like a house, like a garbage dump. So, no, it can't be. Let me clean up my place. Let me make, make everything fine. I was telling uh, Risky and so on. This time, I, this, I mean, I've been to Sri Lanka many times, but until now, every time I came to Sri Lanka, I was only in Colombo and I came for you know, to do 
work with different companies. So, I just did the work and went back. This is the first time that I actually traveled in Sri Lanka. So, with uh, Brother Risky and uh, Ifam, uh, we went to Yala from here, then from Yala we went to Nurelia, we came back to Yala, then we came back here and so on. So, quite a lot of uh, driving, uh, several hundred kilometers uh, all around the island. And I was telling him that what impressed me hugely is the fact that in all those hundreds of miles of driving, I did not find one single piece of garbage anywhere on the road. I didn't find one single plastic bag anywhere on the road. I did not find one single pothole anywhere in the road. Yeah, you might say, well, which Sri Lanka, which road? Huh? <laughs> Seriously, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm sure there are roads with potholes. But, and, and my, my experience with a lot of uh, countries is that, you know, people say, oh my God, you know, you're fantasy. No, really, serious, I'm telling you. So, which road you ask? You ask uh, Risky, you tell you which road. So, drive on that road. Now, I'm saying here, here is a... And people, I mean, driving also, uh, by and large, I think some of the best well-mannered driving that I, I've ever seen in any country in the world. Lines, the, the central line in the road, no overtaking, people don't cross the line. People are driving on their side of the road. Huh? Ajeeva. So, I... <laughs> I know, anyway, laughing at this is really at you. How come we saw all this? <laughs> See, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. This is my experience of Sri Lanka, alhamdulillah. Point I'm making is that I am an outsider. I come to your country and I see this and I'm impressed and I tell the world, this is what Sri Lanka is. Go see Sri Lanka. It's a beautiful place to go to. I go to Yala, beautiful bungalows inside the forest, very nice. You got leopards when Nifam calls, they come. I mean, what would you want? <laughs> this is what impresses people when they come and experience you. What we call the moments of truth is that moment when a person comes into contact with any aspect of you and has the, has the opportunity to form an opinion. This is the meaning. Doesn't matter, I, uh, we, we have completed that. I, I know what, what there is. I know all my slides in my mind, so you don't <laughs> If you want to turn it on, you, you need his password. This is where you learn who your friends are. Huh? <laughs> It doesn't give the password, it's not your friend. So, boundaryless relationships are created when we interact with people. Please understand, interacting with people means respecting people. And therefore, obviously, by definition, if you are saying to yourself that Islam is the right religion, and of course, we, that's what we believe, Islam is the right way of being, of being in this world, it means that somebody who is not a Muslim is not on the right path. But you still have to relate to that person. How will you do that? By being respectful, by treating that person well, by your compassion, by your friendship. And you do that in such a way that then the person also starts 
becoming interested in what therefore is Islam. Is this Islam? This is what the Sahaba did. The Sahaba did not have, uh, they didn't stand and give uh, three hour bayans on Islam. The Sahaba did not stop people in the street and tell them you should become a Muslim. Obviously there were no printing presses in those days, so there's no question of you know distributing pamphlets and so on and so forth. There was no internet and whatnot. The Sahaba invited people to Islam by their own behavior and by their own lives. People saw how they behaved, people saw how they lived and they became attracted to Islam. They asked them about Islam. Islam was presented to them. Not every, even in the time of Sahaba, not everyone to whom Islam was presented became Muslim, but many of them did. And there are any number of incidents, if you read history, if you read the Sirah, the biography of Sallam, you will find there any number of, of incidents of such things which happened because of how people experienced other Muslims. Islam spread because people lived like Muslims. Yes? That is the essence of Islam. Boundaryless relationships, relating across boundaries. The single point of relating across boundaries is that you should genuinely want to help other people. I am saying this specifically because today we talk about networking. And anyone who teaches you networking usually teaches you networking in the, in, in the way of what can I get out of this friendship. My belief is that that is the wrong way of networking. Instead of that, you say, how can I contribute to others? How can I help somebody because I am their friend? Not how can I get something out, is how can I give something? Then the relationship becomes beneficial and there is real networking between people. And that's the meaning of boundary relationship. I want to close by <clears throat> sharing with you my motto in life. And my motto in life is, I will not allow what is not in my control to prevent me from doing what is in my control. I'll report that, I'll repeat that. I, I, do, I will not allow what is not in my control to prevent me from doing what is in my control. Right? Because no matter which position you are in, no matter how powerful you might be or powerless you might be, there will always be things in your control and there will be always things which are not in your control. Many of us look at what is not in our control and we globalize that and you say, you feel helpless, you say, well, what can I do? For example, you might say, well, uh, how can I make sure that nobody goes hungry to bed in Sri Lanka? And if I ask you, can you do something about that? You will say, well, what can I do? I mean, this whole country, uh, nobody goes to bed hungry, what can I do? I can't do anything. But if I ask you the same question in a different way and I say, can you feed one person a day? Can you pay for food for one person who does not have food? What is the answer to that? Yes, of course you can do that. Everyone, each one of us can do that. That's the meaning of that. I will not allow what is not in my control, which is this big image of the whole world, to prevent me from doing what is in my control, which is one person. Can I feed one person? Yes. Can I pay for the education of one child? Yes. Can I do something to give one homeless person one night shelter somewhere? Yes. <coughs> so, localize the problem and you can solve it. 
I will not allow what's not in my control to prevent me from doing what is in my control. So therefore, we close with that. What are the five, what is the platform on which this whole thing runs? Quick. Connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and gratitude, thankfulness to all those who surround us, our parents, our children, our teachers, our neighbors and so on and so forth. And then what are the five things that you need? Number one is clear, clear goal, right? What is the clear definition of your definition of success? Number two is courageous determination. Number three, workable strategy. Number four, significant investment. Number five, boundaryless relationships, right? And I have given you the, these are the five points. <coughs> And the, and the fundamental uh, principle and I have given you what you need to do in each of these things. Those of you who are already doing that, all power to you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you istikhamat and give you steadfastness and take you forward. Those of you who are not doing that, may Allah give you the steadfastness and the niya to start that and to stick with that until you are successful. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help you in ways that you can see and ways that you cannot see and make you hugely successful in this world and the next and make you the means of bringing Islam and the beauty of Islam to all those people around you wherever you might be. Wassalamu <laughs> alaikum